Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt opened up our new series, Heaven and Earth Collide, and gives an overview of misconceptions about heaven, hell, and how God creates heaven on earth. We look at Mark 1, Genesis 1-3, through and Revelation 21 to dig deeper into these concepts. Matt uses a screen to draw out some diagrams, so it may be helpful to watch on YouTube as well on our FG Students YouTube page. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen, amen. Grab a seat. Oh, look at this. Fancy, fancy. All right, guys, welcome. Welcome to FGS tonight. We are so glad you're here. Uh, anyone still on kind of a high from Epic? Anyone still just like riding that wave? Yes, still, your voice is still shot. Thank you all. Yeah, I am too, man. I had such a great time. And truly, if you were not there, make sure you try to come next year. And if you were not there due to COVID, I'm serious. We missed you. There were numerous times throughout the weekend where I thought of you. I was like, ah, they're supposed to be here, but they had to cancel last minute due to COVID, having COVID or being exposed to COVID or whatever. Just know you were missed. And and so hopefully next year you'll get to come. Um, Guys, the epic theme that, that we talked about was encounter. This idea of like us having an encounter with God, God having an encounter with us. We're going to continue that idea as we begin this school year. We are kicking off a series tonight, and I got to be honest with you, I'm incredibly excited about this series. I know I say that about every new series, and it's not that I mean it more this time, but I really mean it. Um, I I am, man. Uh, This series we're about to start is called Heaven and Earth Collide, and it is all about the ideas of heaven and earth uh, and what that means for us and our relationship with God and God's presence and truly what I would say would be the ultimate encounter with God uh, to continue that idea coming off of Epic. And so we're going to start that tonight. Before we do, however, I have a question. Uh, Are there any dog people in this room? Would anyone say, oh, I'm a dog person? Yes. Are there any, are there any, (laughs) some of y'all like, I don't know, kind of, are there any cat people in this room? Good for you, man. Good for you for owning it. Cat people get a bad rap. Cats get a bad rap. Is anyone both? Is anyone a both person? Like, yeah. Hey, I am both. I like dogs. I like cats. I do not think, if you're a dog person, I do not think you're inherently opposed to cats. Someone told you that. They lied to you. Annabelle, I can't even. Um, I think cats are awesome, man. I love them both. So back in the day, I used to have a dog. This is a picture of my dog right here. Yes. He's a mutt. There's many breeds put together. Uh, guys, I don't know why, but I feel like pictures of animals get, get more endearing responses than pictures of my own kids. And I'm not okay with that. I'm not cool with that from you guys. <laughs> you guys are, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Human baby. Ugh. Dog. Oh. Um, that was my dog. His name was Bear. And, <laughs> oh, Bear. I say was because he's dead now. Yeah. Just to tug, just to continue to tug at your heartstrings even more. Let me go ahead and do that. Uh, so this was Bear. I had Bear, I don't know, like eight years ago, maybe I got him as a little puppy. And, um, and I love that dog, man. And, and I, had not owned dog, I had not owned a dog since I was a kid. And so one day I was at work and I finished work, I don't know, like 20 minutes early. And I was like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? So I Googled puppies for sale. And I went and met this really sketch lady in this really sketch area and 
paid cash for this dog. <laughs> I don't know if that's legit, but I did it. And brought this dog home, did not talk to my wife whatsoever. Uh, guys, take notes. This is, this is the way uh, to make sure your wife is not stressed out. Brought this dog home, put it on the floor, and let it run into the bedroom and scare her. And she was like, what is that, a rat? What is that? And I was like, no, it's a, it was a dog. Don't hurt his feelings. Bear, she didn't mean it. Anyway, so I brought this dog home, and I loved uh, this dog, and I really wanted to bond with this dog. <clears throat> and so I was reading all these, like, books about how to bond with your dog and, you know, the pack mentality and, like, you know, trying to, I, I read, um, I read a book that was like written from the perspective of a, of a tick that was living on a dog. Like I was in deep, I was in deep to try and discover the psychology of dogs. And one of the things that I came across, yeah, don't look at me like that. It was awesome. <laughs> written as a tick living on a dog. Yes. Okay. Uh, one of the things I discovered, one of the things I discovered uh, is that when dogs are puppies, to create like a bond, there needs to be shared experiences. You need to do things together, right? I know you guys are like, yeah, obviously, but okay, so I'm learning. So one day, I am, uh, it's a Sunday, in fact. I was on my back deck studying diligently for the sermon I was about to go preach that night. I'm studying, I'm going over my notes, I'm praying. Bear is outside with me, he's kind of chilling, he's hanging out, he's doing whatever. Um, and we're, we're just relaxing, man. He's taking a little nap, he's running around, he's playing, and I'm, I'm looking over my stuff, and I'm practicing my sermon. And all of a sudden, I, I can't help but notice that, that Bear kind of locks on to something. He hears something. In my backyard, uh, I, it was half grass and then half like undeveloped woods, just, just woods. So we would always have stuff back there. Possums and raccoons and um, squirrels, other dogs would come back there from time to time, cats, uh, kids, I don't know. There were always things back there. And he, so it's not abnormal for him to hear something in the woods and be like, you know, what is that? Like his body stiff and he locked on. And I'm studying and I'm, and I'm trying to read my stuff and I look down and I see he's locked on to something and I can't tell what it is. My, my yard was also surrounded by a privacy fence, a six foot privacy fence. And so um, I couldn't see what he was getting riled up by. Maybe it was on the other side of the fence. I don't know. So I kept trying to study. I kept trying to like stay focused and Bear kept getting more and more ramped up about whatever this was. His ears perked up, his body stiffened up and eventually he went over to the fence line and started barking. And I'm like, all right, let me, let me go check this out. So I put my stuff down, I walk over with Bear. Shared experience, right? Trying to bond with my dog, okay? And I'm standing there, he's next to me and he's barking, ruff, 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 like going through the fence. I know, cute little bark. Ruff, 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 going through the fence. And, I, and I'm like, I'm looking in our woods. I'm not seeing anything. I'm looking in the neighbor's yard because theirs is the same deal, half grass in all woods. And I'm like looking back in the woods. I'm not seeing anything. My eyes are like stretched back to the other side of the fence. I'm not seeing anything. And he keeps getting more and more riled up and his barks are becoming more aggressive. And they're like, ruff. Oh, he's not that deep. Okay, he's a puppy. But he was like, ruff, 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 right? Like she's doing his stuff. And, and this entire time I'm standing there, that idea of bonding with your dog comes to mind. The idea that in order to create the pack mentality, in order to create bonding, you need shared experiences. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, oh, why not, man? No one's really around. So I let out a little, just a little something. I just wanted him to know I was there for him. Like, bro, you're all, you're, you got it, dude. Whatever you're, I'm upset with you. So I, said, I was like, rough. 
And he looked up at me as if I'd made, I mean, he was like, oh. <laughs> Thank you. He felt so validated. There, <laughs> yeah, he felt so validated. And so I was like, oh, no problem, man, I got your back. And, and he, kept, he kept going. And so I was like, all right, dude, like, rough, rough. Like, yeah, <laughs> we got him. <laughs> And he kept going. And I don't, dude, I don't know why. I, I could have just been tired. I'd been studying, you know, for a while. And maybe I, my brain just needed a little break or whatever. But I was like, all right, dude, I'm, I'm going to hype my man up. So he's all right. And I was like, yeah, get him, dude. Get him. And he's like, roof, 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 roof. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, roof, 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 roof. Like I'm, like I'm dancing around my yard, right? And he's like, rrr, rrr. and I'm like, yeah, get him. Roof, 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 roof. What you got? What you got on my dog? Roof, roof, roof. And he starts getting riled up. And I'm getting like, yeah. Yeah, bear you. Yeah. Like I'm going crazy. He's going crazy. And I'm dancing around and he's jumping around and he's barking and I'm barking. And in my head, I'm like, yo, we are bonding. This is a shared experience. We are a pack, my dude. Roof, roof, right? Like we are going. And I'm staring off into the yard. I'm hyped up with him. It's, it was hot outside, so I didn't have my shirt on. I was sweating. I'm getting loud. And all of a sudden, my eyes adjust, because the whole time I'd been staring out into the trees, like deep into the woods, and my eyes adjust into the foreground, and I realized that the entire time, on my neighbor's deck, which was elevated, was my neighbor. <laughs> it was a woman, it was a woman. Uh, it, it was, it was a, a mother of two, okay? She was really sweet. Her name was Barbara, okay? She was really nice. Great neighbor name, Barb. Okay, she was awesome. She was standing on her deck, and she was like, she had a rug that she was like whipping out the dust and dirt from on her deck, right? And I know it sounds crazy like you didn't see her that entire time, but I'm telling you, I was looking deep into the woods, okay? Like, I... I, don't, I got so focused in on, boo, what, what are you getting upset about that everything in the foreground was invisible to me? Now, mind you, remember, I had a privacy fence around my yard. Her perspective, her view, her vantage point could not see my dog. <laughs> and I highly doubt she could hear my dog because of how because of how hyped I was getting. So if you can imagine, you're outside one day and you decide, mm, I'm just gonna clean the rugs today, and you whip a rug, and you see your neighbor on the other side of the fence, and all of a sudden he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. You either have one of two options. You're either gonna get hyped up with him, like, oh, my man's cheering me on, household chores, hey. <laughs> Or you're going to avoid eye contact and ignore them at all costs and pretend like they don't exist and then have an awkward three weeks of not talking or inter interacting after that, right? She chose the latter, okay? <laughs> she did not look at me whatsoever the entire time. And you may be wondering, I mean, what was it, like a minute? No, it was probably a solid 10 minutes of me <laughs> and my, I needed a study break, mind you. Like, it was me and my dog and I'm on the side of the fence and I'm barking, yeah, like barking, and all she's seeing is me bouncing around, probably not hearing my dog, probably not seeing my dog, right? It is possible, it is possible 
to sometimes be so focused on something you're looking for or something you think exists that you miss what is right in front of you the entire time. It is possible to have your focus or to have your gaze somewhere so uh, strictly that you miss something literally right under your nose. Like me with my neighbor, Barbara, okay, lifelong friends. Yeah, four lifers, okay. I bought her a Christmas gift that year. I felt bad, all right? (laughs) Funny enough, she asked me to dog watch every time they left town after that. I think she knew. This man has something with dogs. Okay, we can trust him, all right? He's part K-9, okay. You can be so focused on something that you think exists, that that you're looking for, that you think is out there, that you actually miss what's right in front of you, that you miss what's right under your nose. And it can be so obvious, and we miss it. And so tonight, as we begin our new series, Heaven and Earth, Collide, I want to talk to you guys about the concepts of heaven and earth. And so right off the bat, admittedly, I want to confess something to you guys. Tonight's message is absolutely, definitely, positively a broad stroke overview, big picture view. Like, we're not going to get into the weeds tonight. We're not going to dig into all the nuances and intricacies that the scriptures have to talk about. Those are in the weeks to come. Tonight introduces the concepts that we will be talking about in heaven and earth. And let me go ahead and give you this other forewarning. Tonight's message will more than likely raise more questions than I can give you answers. Okay? You guys good with that? Five of you are good with that? Okay. Some of you want certainty. I get that. Like, no, I'm not good with that, bro. I want answers. Uh, Unfortunately, though, sometimes the Bible doesn't give us answers to every question we have. Sometimes it leaves us in mystery. Not all the time, but sometimes. And there's just things within these concepts that we get glimpses at, but not the full picture, at least not yet. So we are going to walk down a road together. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you have a notebook, get it out. If you have a pen, get it out. I promise you, you will get the most out of this if you take notes, okay? If you take notes, because I promise you will have questions. You're going to be like, oh, dude, what? I, can we come back to that? Write those things down. Talk to your small group leaders about them. This is, this is how you're going to learn and grow. And if you're sitting here like, I don't, dude, I don't have a notebook. I don't have pens, okay? Haley Call has just the right idea. Go to the back and get a piece of paper and a pen. I'll allow it right now. Go ahead. Get a piece of paper. Get a pen two of you, three of you, thank you. Yes, go get them, because I want you to write these down. Haley, great idea. All right, you're going to want to take notes, okay? You're going to have questions. All right, so, by the way, guys, John Kiefer's in the house tonight. John Kiefer, give it up for John Kiefer. Yes, yes. Everyone's like, dude, who is, who's John Kiefer? Okay, and I can't believe you asked that. Okay, John, I got you, man. He's like, dude, I hate you. I got you, though. I love you. All right, so, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to draw something. On this, look at this fancy thing we got tonight. Look at this, man. Isn't it nice? 
It's, it's touchscreen, but I'm going to use the stylus anyway because it makes me feel more intellectual. Um, so I'm going to draw something on the board <coughs> about heaven and earth, okay? This is why I want you to take notes because I'm drawing diagrams tonight you, so you know it's serious. I got the fancy screen thing in the house tonight for, for it. Most people, most people that I have interacted with, and I don't just mean students, I mean adults too. Most people that I have interacted with have come to understand the overall story of the Bible like what I'm about to draw on the board. Or at the very least, most people who uh, maybe not even believe in Jesus, but most people think that this is what Christians believe about the overall story of the Bible. So you, you either believe it or people think you believe it. All right, so here's what largely I have heard over time in my walk with Jesus as I've come to understand heaven and earth. This is what I've heard presented, all right? At somewhere in distant history, which is very confusing, because even with carbon dating and timestamps and stuff like that, there's all this speculation and disagreement, but somewhere in history, God has created earth, okay? Look how fancy this is, dude. God, God has created earth, okay? These are the continents. There's Antarctica. These are some other things, all right? Yes, okay. God has created earth. And in earth, <clears throat> as history continued it to, to move along, eventually we were created. You and I came along. Me and you and everybody else that we know. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Now that's just fancy right there. Um, you and me and everybody else that we know has been created. And even this, there's some mystery in. Like when you read the scriptures. Did God create our soul and our bodies in the moment or were our souls in some holding place and then they were assigned to a body later? Like, were we chosen for this, predestined? Like, how did all that work? There's still mystery there as we read through the scriptures. But at some point, we were created, me and you, everybody you know. And we live this life that is progressively advancing forward. We live on a timeline. You can't control time. You can't stop time. You can't pause time. You can't go backwards in time. We are moving forwards. And in this life that we live, there's highs and lows. Sometimes life seems really, really good and blissful. You ask that girl out and she said, yes, that's a really good thing. You ask that girl out and she puts you in a friend zone. That's, that's, that's the other spectrum. That's like, life's not good right now, right? Sometimes life seems good. There's positives. There, there's things we, we celebrate. Sometimes there are moments in life that we experience in life and in these sobering moments that we're in, sometimes the, the, the best word we can use to even describe them would be the word heavenly. Like, like there is something about this moment that we are tasting that the only language we could even use would be, man, th this is heavenly. Th there's something about this that just seems right. And then there's other times in life when it's not. There's suffering and evil and pain and a lot of terrible things in this world. But ultimately, at the end of this timeline, when your time runs out, when you die, which we all will, we have come to believe that there are ultimately two realities, heaven and hell. That's, that's at some point, at this moment of dying, that God will then assign your final location, your final destination. And some of us believe that will be determined on what you've done in this life. I have talked to numerous people who adhere to a a an earning 
uh, mentality or a works-based mentality. If I do enough good, I have people very close to me in my life right now that think this way. If I do enough good in the time I have on earth, if, I, if, if the scales at the end of time, if the good can outweigh the bad, even just by one little bit, then God will reward me and bless me and allow me to go to heaven when I die. Some people think this is based on a proper set of beliefs. If I believe just the right things and just the right ways, and I have to discover all those in my very limited amount of time here on this earth, then I will get to go to heaven when I die. But if I did more bad things than good things, or if I didn't believe the right things, if I somehow believed the wrong things, or if I got it wrong all along, then God will send me to hell when I die. And we have images for these things in our minds, right? Like if I were to ask you to close your eyes and imagine what heaven is like, well, we kind of have these weird abstract thoughts. Maybe there's some like Renaissance paintings weaving their way into your minds and there's like little weird looking naked babies with wings flying around, playing harps and whatnot. And they're landing on clouds as if the clouds are solid right? Or you might have like more of, uh, you know, biblical descriptions in your mind and, and there's like green emerald radiating light from the throne room and, and a sea of glass and gates of pearl and streets of gold and you're trying to somehow fathom that reality but, you know, you just can't. Like it, we can't put it into concept quite that clearly. We all have these kind of different contributing ideas, almost like a puzzle that culture or people or sermons or whatever have contributed with over the years. And same thing with hell. If I ask you to close your eyes, hey, imagine hell. What do you think it's like? A lot of us, I don't know, may imagine some like deep chamber underground, right? Like some weird underground chasm that's ultimately going to hold every soul that never believed in Jesus. And in that, you know, we have this biblical language of it will be dark and cold, but simultaneously we have biblical language of, but there will be eternal fire and pain, but we know fire to be warm and illuminating, so how can there be fire and yet darkness and cold? Like all these ideas, and it's like, but how do you even imagine something like that? How do you know what it's like? And so let's be honest with ourselves tonight. It is incredibly hard to understand fully these concepts. And I would be willing to bet that most of us in this room have heard this narrative or this is the story that we've been presented with at some time in our lives or another. And that's basically what we've clung to. And we said, yep, I guess guess that's what the story of the Bible is about. And you may be sitting in this room thinking like, but I mean, is it not? Is is it different than that? Because if it is, I, I might be wrong. Most of us have come to understand it this way. And I just want to very graciously but clearly say that is not the most accurate view of understanding the story of the scriptures, the story of the Bible. Like without a show of hands, truly ask yourselves, as you've been confronted with the ideas of heaven and hell or the concepts of heaven and earth and hell, did that lead you to a personal, in-depth, rigorous study combing through the scriptures to find answers? Or was it more so like, ah, I'm kind of confused, a little offended, kind of scared. I guess I'll just take it at face value, tuck it somewhere way in the back of my mind and think about it later as I get older. Probably the latter, right? We just kind of take these things at face value. So this story, it's not that it's 
wrong entirely. Hear me, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not the most accurate. In the same way, if you came up to me and you said, hey, what's your name? And I said, oh, thanks for asking. I'm glad you want to get to know me. My name is Matt. Well, I'm not lying to you. That's not wrong. But I'm also not telling you the fullest truth. Because my name is Matthew, right? There's a fuller picture there. I didn't lie. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't the fullest extent of what I could have told you about myself. Or let's take him back even further. Let's say you came up to me and you were like, hey, what's your name? And I said, well, it begins with the letter M. Take a guess. (laughs) You would either be intrigued or more than likely annoyed. Like, dude, okay, you're weird. I don't care anymore at that point, right? But let's say you went down the road. I I don't know. Mark? No. (laughs) Okay, like, I don't know. Max? No. Close. I didn't lie to you. It does begin with N, but it's also not the fullest extent of what would help you to get to know me the best. Let's take it back even further. If you came up to me and you're like, what's your name? And I was like, it begins with a letter that sounds like, mm. <laughs> like, all right, bro, I'm out. You're weird. I don't have time for these shenanigans. That's creepy, right? So none of those were inaccurate. They just weren't as helpful as the fullest picture. If you came up to me and you were like, dude, what's your name? And I said, oh, dude, my name's Matt. Funny story. The entire pregnancy, my parents were going to name me Sean, believe it or not. Because my dad, I know, changes my vibe, doesn't it? My dad loved James Bond and specifically the actor Sean Connery. And he wanted to name me after Sean. And I was supposed to be Sean. And on the way to the hospital, my mom changed her mind last minute and said, I want to name him Matthew. It was a last minute decision. And my name means gift of God. Did you know that Matthew means gift of God? Thank you. I am. My... my, my, my mom's entire pregnancy, she had multiple tests, and each test came back. They told her I was going to be born with a, a baseball-sized uh, hole in my spine. Every test she took, they came back and said, your son will have spina bifida. He will have a hole in his spine, and he's not going to make it very long. And then I was born without the hole. I was completely healthy, and they named me Gift of God. Now, if I told you that story, all of a sudden you're like, wow. Like, I, feel, I know him better, not fully, but there's a clearer picture of who he is, as opposed to my name begins with M, right? What this is, what this presentation is, it's not, it's not untrue, it's not inaccurate, it's just not the clearest or fullest, or let's be honest, most compelling way to understand the story of the scriptures. In other words, if we looked at the, the Bible as a photograph, the foreground would have a completely different story. This understanding of what's going on would be like in the background. It'd be like a fuzzy tree or something way in the background. It's not that it's not there, but the scriptures don't focus on this quite as much as we present it. This is not the main focus. I dropped my fancy pen. This is not the main focus of the scriptures as a whole. It's not that it's inaccurate, it's just not that full of a picture and truly not that compelling. Has, have any, has anyone in here ever tried to share their faith before or talk about your faith? Maybe not. And I would encourage you to take a risk and do that because uh, it's awesome and I think Jesus would want that of us. But there are so many times, and most recently I was, I was talking to one of my neighbors and he asks me what I do and I said, I'm a pastor. And he, well, 
Whoa. I mean, people get weird, man, around pastors. They like, <laughs> like straighten up. Like they've been cussing all night, and all of a sudden it's like, well, shh, darn. <laughs> like, bro, I, I'm, dude, I'm just here to be with you, man. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not here to judge you, bro. Like, I just want to be with you. Um, people get funny, and he heard I was a pastor, and he, he, he did that thing. He got all weird, and so he just started asking me questions because he's got a church background, but he, he would definitely not align himself with Christianity now, and I just told him a little bit of my story, and I, I told him a little bit of the story of God, but I packaged it in a way that I wasn't like, well, let's turn to Genesis. Like, <laughs> it's very, very relational, right? And at the end of the night, at the end of the night, one of the comments he made to me was like, dude, I, I, I've just never heard heard it talked about like this. I've never heard a pastor talk about it like this. In many ways, that was encouraging, but in many more ways, it was heartbreaking. Like, this is not a compelling story. Like, talk to people who don't believe in Jesus, and you pitch this. Well, you know, we live this life about 80, 90 years, do enough good things, believe the right things, and then one day you get to go and be with God. Like, I mean, that's not the most compelling idea compared to what the scriptures actually teach and talk about. There's a way more compelling story in the Bible, and I want to I walk through it with you guys tonight. So let's begin here. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to look at two verses and kind of unpack some things. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, fun fact, fun fact. Between verse 13 and 14, uh, one year has passed in the public ministry of Jesus. There's a huge gap in between 13 and 14 here. So we're at verse 14. After John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Gospel also means good news. Everybody say good news. The word gospel is also translated to mean good news. So Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news or the gospel. That's what Jesus says. So let's come back to our story here. There's a few problems with this story, with this narrative. Again, not inaccurate, just not the most compelling, not the fullest idea of what the scriptures teach. There's a couple of problems with this story. Number one are the scriptures. <laughs> like, the first problem with this narrative is the Bible. Because the Bible speaks about this, the, the story so differently than just this very simplistic and reduced idea that you were created and one day you will die and then God sorts it out. Like that, there is so much more in the scriptures about a relationship with God and his presence and God encountering us, hello, epic. So much more throughout the scriptures than just this story. So first problem is the entirety of the scriptures. There's so much more in here than just this. It is us that have reduced it down to this. The second problem would be the teachings and life of Jesus. The things Jesus said. We just read one of them here in verse 14 and 15. Verse 15 says, the time is fulfilled. What time? What is Jesus talking about? What time is fulfilled? And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. What, 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 what good news? Jesus, what, what are you talking about? We'll come back to that in a minute. But the teachings of Jesus seem to talk way more than just this. The third main problem with, with this idea as being the compelling story of the gospel, which it's not, is that it's incredibly me-focused. It's all about you. 
Well, God created the earth. Sure, I couldn't do that. And then he created me. And now the story shifts to me. It's my life and what I believe and what I do. And yeah, God will sort it out, but it's all about me. Like, look at the chunk of time it's focused on us. And the story of the gospel, the story of the Bible, certainly includes us, but it's about God pursuing us. It's about God and his glory. It's about God and his reign. It's about God and his dominion. It's about God and his creation. It's about God desiring to be friends with us. But the story of the scriptures is not about us. We're not the star in the story. God is the star, his name and his glory. This version makes it all about us. It's very me-centered. So if this is how you've come to understand the story of the scriptures and the gospel in heaven and earth, then I'm sorry, it's just not the most accurate understanding. There's a better one. So let's talk about what that better one is. Well, in order to do that, again, remember, broad stroke overview. In order to do that, think about Genesis, okay? In the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. God literally creates heaven on earth, God's space and man's space came together. God dwelt among his people. God lived among his people. It was heaven on earth. Did you know Adam and Eve were never intended to die? Death came in once sin came in. The image that we get in the beginning of scriptures is literally heaven. God created a garden, a magnificent bountiful, plentiful garden, and he put people in it, and he said, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to dwell among you. I want to live with you. Now fill up this place. Fill up earth and heaven. The space of God and the space of men and women were one. All right, so this is Genesis. That's Genesis 1 and 2, okay? Then we sinned. We rebelled against God in Genesis chapter 3, right? We grabbed at autonomy. We grabbed at individuality. We grabbed at control. We heard what God said would kill us and hurt us, and we decided to do it anyway. We decided we don't want God to define what's right and wrong. We don't care about God's design for right and wrong. We want to grab at it, and we think that we know better than God. We were deceived by the serpent, and we disobeyed God. And in Genesis 3, sin enters the world, and heaven on earth becomes heaven and earth split. The two domains split. The rest of the Old Testament essentially, essentially is about God bringing these two spaces back together because God desires to have a relationship with his people. God never desired for us to be separate from him and he constantly tried to make a way for these realms to be back together. And so God would introduce things like covenants and relationships with his people, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God would introduce things like the law given through Moses and Aaron to his people and the system of worship in the tabernacle and the temple and the animal sacrifices through the Old Testament which absorbed the sins of the people and allowed for temporary cleansing of their sins. And then the Psalms, And then the the Proverbs, wisdom writings, and then the prophets would come along and begin to foretell and foretell the word of God. All these acts of God and miracles of God and relationships that God is establishing with people and all the stories of the Old Testament are essentially God attempting to bring these two domains back together. And every now and then they would come so close, you could even describe them as like just kissing for a moment, just boom, gone. Over and over and over again. But they can never be fully 
repaired because of the decision that we made in Genesis chapter 3. Sin had entered the world and had completely distorted heaven on earth. But God had a plan. And what we see is Jesus. Jesus comes. And for the first time, these two realms overlap. For the first time, these two realms come back together. Let's take another look. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. What time is Jesus talking about? All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, there are writings and prophecies about one who is coming, one who will heal us, one who will redeem us, one who will overthrow our oppressor, the oppressor of sin, one who will make things right. The book of Colossians says that Jesus will reconcile all things to himself. Everything in the Old Testament points ahead to he who is coming. Everything in the New Testament points back to he who came. Jesus is the fulfillment of history and the narrative of the scriptures. It's always been about Jesus and always will be about Jesus. He is the focal point, the center point, the rescuer, the redeemer, the healer, the reconciler, the forgiver, the grace giver of the realms which have been destroyed due to sin. It's all been about Jesus. The entire Old Testament is pointing ahead. One will come who will bring all this together again. One will come who will make things right. One will come who will heal us. And the entire New Testament helps us see that it was Jesus. When Jesus comes onto the scene, the Gospel of Matthew, the first thing out of his mouth is the kingdom of God is at hand. The Gospel of Mark, Jesus proclaims here, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of God is so close you can reach out and touch it. That is a stark contrast to this narrative up here that we have come to understand over the years. We think God created me, I live my life, and one day when I die, I hope to go to the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches something entirely different. The kingdom of God is already here. You don't wait till you die to leave earth and go to heaven. Heaven has come down to earth. That's the message of Jesus. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. The realities of the kingdom are at hand. The culture of the kingdom is at hand. This is why Jesus instructs his disciples in the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer is instructing us to invite the realities of heaven to be realities on earth. God, whatever heaven is like, that's what we want earth to be like. Whatever the, the culture of heaven is like, that's what we want earth to be like. And we are inviting you to do that here, in us, through us, and to us. Heaven is not just somewhere you go when you die. The reality is heaven is already on earth. And if you don't see that, maybe it's because you've never heard the narrative of the scriptures presented this way. But the first utterances of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and then here in the Gospel of Mark is the kingdom of God has arrived. The long-awaited kingdom, the time is fulfilled. The realities of heaven have now come to earth. The domain is coming back. God's space and man's space are once again beginning to come together all through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the good news. That's what Jesus is pointing us to here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. What's the good news? That the kingdom has come. There's no more waiting. The kingdom is here. This is the narrative of the scriptures. 
that once was heaven on earth, and then due to sin became heaven and earth, two separate spaces, and God made ways for them to kind of come together and us to experience God, is now finally overlapping again, and Jesus, in its entirety of time, will bring them fully together. So this, let me go a little bit narrow here, this first circle here is the first coming of Jesus. This is kingdom or heaven. And this is earth, but things associated with earth, sin, death, pain, sadness, so on and so forth. All of those things associated with earth. The first coming of Jesus brought in the kingdom of God and the realities of the kingdom. And the scriptures also teach that one day there will be a second coming of Jesus. And upon that second coming, he will fully obliterate the pain and sin and death and reality of evil in this world. And so you and I right now live in this very strange overlap that the biblical authors call these last days. You see that term all over the place in the New Testament. In these last days, in these final days, it is the overlap of the domains, of the realms, where the realities of heaven are here on earth, but the realities of the broken world still exist, which is why, if you've heard me speaking and you're like, the kingdom has come, that's awesome, dude, that's amazing, but wait a minute, I still sin and mess up. What's that about? That's because we are not fully yet out of this broken world. So the realities of sin and death and pain and sadness are still very much a part of our world. That's why we still experience death and heartache and heartbreak and sin. And we struggle because we love Jesus and we don't want to sin, but we find ourselves sinning. We don't understand why because we we love Jesus and we find ourselves there again. But we also have experienced victory over sin and we've tasted the sweetness of, of resisting temptation and not giving in and we're growing in our faith and we're maturing and there are some times in this life during worship or during Bible study or during prayer or just being with people that you love and that love Jesus where you swear you have tasted heaven like, oh, that... That was what heaven must be like, and that's because there's a reality that heaven is already here. We live in the overlap. You experience both and, the brokenness of the old order and the newness of the kingdom of God. And the narrative that the scriptures teach is that Jesus, desiring to put an end to all of this sin, sadness, death, pain, took everything upon himself. Somewhere in that overlap at his first coming, took everything upon himself, absorbed all sin for all time, became a sacrifice for all people for all time so that we could be made right with our creator once again. Make sense? You guys with me so far? Is anyone sitting there like, I have never heard this before. Yeah, Denisha? Okay, a few of you guys are willing to admit it. Most of you have heard this one before, right? Top one. But the message of the gospel is not that we wait until we die and hopefully we go to heaven one day. The message of the gospel is God brought heaven to us. It's good news. The kingdom came down. The love of God that chased us all through the Old Testament has now finally come to us through the form of Jesus putting on skin, and becoming one of us. That's good news. So, some questions that might arise. 
And guys, I don't have time to answer them tonight. So, (laughs) fair warning. Questions that might arise. If you go to the book of Genesis, if you go to the book of Genesis and you read the, um, the first and second page, what you will see is that God created heaven and earth. But there is nowhere in there a mention of hell. In the creation process, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's not a real thing. I'm not saying the scriptures don't talk about it. What I'm saying is, in that first creation narrative, we don't see that. And so, as we've imagined hell over time, I don't know what you've imagined, but it seems like somewhere in this split of heaven on earth became heaven and earth, it seems that somewhere in here, the realities of evil, the realities of pain, the realities of sin, punishment for sin, consequences for sin, the realities of hell became a reality on earth. So again, common misconception, some of you, when you imagine Satan, you kind of imagine like, is he sitting on some fiery throne right now in hell? Does he have a pitchfork and hooves, horns maybe? I've told you guys, I dressed up as Satan when I was in kindergarten. So like, I'm very familiar with the concept of Lucifer, okay? But some of you guys, when I ask you, what do you imagine when you picture Satan? Some of you guys imagine him ruling from hell. The scriptures do not teach that. What the scriptures teach is, Satan, at one time, the devil, was an angel, and he rebelled against God. He desired control. He desired to be God, and he led myriads upon myriads upon myriads of angels in an an open rebellion against God, the Creator, who made them, and God was not having it, and he threw them out of heaven, and he did not put them in hell. Where did he put them? Earth. Earth. Like, if you've imagined Satan sitting on some throne in hell, that's, that's like folklore stuff. The scriptures say that Satan right now roams the earth like a roaring lion, prowls the earth like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan's agenda is to kill, still, and destroy. He is disrupting constantly what God is doing in his kingdom on this earth. Hell is vacant at the moment. And so the realities of hell, the cultures of hell, are are more kind of linked to the evilness that came from the rebellion, sin and despair and pain and death in the biblical narrative. Now, you may be wondering then, like, okay, so is, is this concept here, like, real? Yeah. The scriptures teach both and. It does seem to be a physical place, and it does seem to be realities of the evils of this world that we experience today. So if we look in the book of Revelation, which I have this on the screen for you guys, the final few chapters of the book of Revelation say this, verse 21 describes a new heaven, or chapter 21 describes a new heaven and a new earth. It says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Do we have this scripture, guys? Revelation 21? Oh, it's behind me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I can't see behind me. All right. Thank you. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's always been with man. 
The dwelling place of God has always been with men and women. It was heaven on earth with Adam and Eve. Fill this world, populate it. My desire is to have a relationship with you. The dwelling place of God is with men, always has been. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. That's always been the plan. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's referring to this entire age. All of that is gone in the new heavens and new earth. Now, if you continue to read the book of Revelation, what it does talk about is what God made in the beginning the Bible uses imagery of a garden and, and language of a garden, later becomes a city. We just read that in chapter 21. It was a city. But it's heaven on earth again. It's a new heaven and new earth, and God will be with us, and we will be fully reconciled and fully redeemed. There will be no more pain, no more presence of sin, no more evil. We will be finally with God in the kingdom once again, heaven on earth, in this city. The last chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, then talks about, though, but there will be evil contained outside of the city. That God will not allow evil to prevail anywhere in his new heaven and new earth, but that somehow in God's mercy, the people in the scriptures, the people throughout history who have decided they don't want to be a part part of God's reconciliation plan, they don't want to be a part of God's creation plan again, they don't want to be involved in God's redemption plan, they don't want to be a part of God's healing plan for his world. God will allow them to make that decision. And then the evil that will overflow from continued rebellion against God, he will contain somewhere away from the city, outside of the city. You can read that in Revelation chapter 22. And so the realities of what we call hell seem to be a a present reality in our world, evil and pain and sin and death and suffering due to rebellion against God. And also one day it seems to be a place where evil is contained and not allowed into the new heavens and new earth. Again, I warn you, you're going to have way more questions than I can give you answers tonight. And sometimes the Bible just does not give us every answer we want because we might, wait, wait, what about, what about? But the foreground picture, like the narrative that the scriptures talk about over and over and over again, and I don't want us to lose it, is that God has always desired to be with us, and he created heaven on earth to be with us. We rebelled openly against him, and due to that rebellion, evil came into this world, splitting the realms. And so now you have God's space and a space that belongs to men and women. And God has always tried to reconnect and always allowed his presence to be known in this space and created systems for us to get to know him in this brokenness. But there was always a better way. And that better way was one day the domains will come together again and finally be healed. And that began with the coming of Jesus. God's space invaded man's space once again. And the overlap began. And one day this rule and realm of evil and pain and suffering and tears and mourning and crying will be done away with once and for all. That God hates the suffering in this world just as much as you do. That God hates the evil in this world just as much as you do. That God hates people in pain just as much as we do. In fact, he hates it even more than we do because his standard is so much higher than ours. He hates those things 
And the beauty of the, of the message of, of the Gospels, the beauty of the narrative of Scriptures, is that he hates those things so much, the presence of evil, and he loves us so much, his people, that he actually became one of us. And how do you see Jesus confronting the realities of evil? Well, read the Gospels. Jesus confronts the supernatural powers of evil as he casts out demons from people and has authority over demons and the devil and speaks to the darkness and rebukes them. Jesus confronts the evils of this world through pain and brokenness and suffering as he disrupts corrupt systems of religion and offers a better way, as he, as he disrupts corrupt systems of government and shows what real power, what a real king would do with power and control and authority. He would serve, he would love, he would help. Jesus disrupts any earning or effort-based mentality by dispensing an inexhaustible grace on the people he interacts with. Jesus disrupts this kind of like pervasive evil that just says we have to accept anything and everything because he's truth as well. He manifests grace and truth simultaneously. John 1.14 says he came full of, John, of, of grace and truth. And John 1.17. So he was graciously truthful and truly gracious at all times. How did Jesus confront the evils of his world? He stepped into them. He disrupted brokenness and evil and suffering and pain and sin with his presence. In essence, Jesus created pockets of the realities of heaven here on earth and then invited people into that. The kingdom is at hand. The realities of heaven are at hand. You don't have to wait till you die one day to go to heaven. I'm bringing heaven to you. You can experience life here and now. You can experience joy here and now. You can experience victory over sin here and now. I'm breaking the chains. I've overthrown the enemy. I've defeated death and the grave. The message of the gospel is that God has always wanted to be with us and has a plan to fix the brokenness that we created so he can be with us once again. And in the meantime, all of the present evil in this world, God cares about and is dealing with through the realities of heaven that are now in this world. And he invites us to be a part of that. That message is by far way more compelling than this one. Can I get an amen? Like, you're, you talk, like I'm talking to my neighbor and I'm telling him the story of the Bible is not just about believe the right things and when you die, you go somewhere. The story of the Bible is God wants to be with us we messed that up. God has pursued us ever since and now made a way for his kingdom to be on earth with us. And he hates evil in this world just as much as we do. When we look at evil and we say, oh, that's wrong. There's something wrong about that. God thinks it even more. And he has a plan of healing and rescue. And it even involves us as we create the realities of heaven here on this earth. And one day, everything will be made right once again. Now, they may disagree with that story. They still may not be ready to believe in Jesus, but that, that is a beautiful, compelling narrative. And that seems to be in the foreground of what the scriptures talk about. That is the message of heaven and earth. In this series, we will navigate things like the problem of evil. What do we do with hell? I mean, we've got to talk about it, right? Like, we're going to talk about all these things. Creation in the garden and God's presence. We're, we're going to navigate all that. But tonight, I wanted to give an overview of what the narrative of Scripture actually is. What does the Scripture talk about when it talks about heaven and earth? It's a story of God desiring to be with his people. And he will be with his people once again because he's made a way for us to be with him. Jesus lived for us, he died for us, and he rose from the dead for us so that we could be in the new kingdom and the new earth with him one day.
It's a story worth telling, a story worth living. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the narrative of the scriptures that heaven and earth have met. They've collided. They're overlapping. It is a reality that we can taste and experience. Our faith is not meant to be passive until the moment of death, and then we get to experience all the goodness of heaven, or, or we hope we got it right. The message of the gospel, the overwhelming message of the scriptures, is that you desire to be with us, we've messed that up, and you have made every way for us to be with you in the midst of that. And you are healing the brokenness, and you are rebuking and dealing with the evil of this world. And we can be in your kingdom here and now. And one day be in your new kingdom, your new heavens and earth, with you forever. Fully removed from the effects and presence of evil once and for all. Jesus, we thank you for that story. And we thank you that it's only possible through you taking on flesh, relinquishing your throne in heaven, becoming man, serving and humbling yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and then defeating the tomb, defeating the grave. Thank you for bringing heaven with you to earth. We love you, Jesus. I pray over this room, over these students, if this is the first introduction to the narrative of the scriptures, if, it, if they've heard kind of that southern version their entire life, I pray they would be stirred up, they'd ask questions, they'd seek truth, and come to land on your mission of healing and hope and rescue. Jesus, you said the good news was the kingdom is at hand. I pray we'd live in the kingdom and create culture of kingdom and pockets of heaven all around this earth through our hope in you and our faith in you. Let us share that story with as many people as we possibly can. Jesus, I ask these things in your precious name. Amen.